the things that I am teaching you in this Money Wisdom series are things that Julie and I have walked out in the fire of our life. They are principles that we have practiced in, in the rough and tumble of life. And one of the things, one of the ways that you find out whether your faith is real is by actually doing it. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the just shall live by faith. It was Julie in her message on Habakkuk. And the reality that faith is what we put into action. It's not the words that come out of our mouth. It's actually what we do. And it's in the place of uh, obeying God that we find out whether he can be trusted. You can say you trust God, but until uh, you actually put that into practice and money such a crucible of where that faith gets formed and refined. It is such, you know, that the crucible is a place of fire where our lives get refined and we get tested in this. It's like, and God is saying, and we're going to see it in several passages in scripture that we're going to look at this morning about, will you trust me? with what I've entrusted to you. And as we were worshipping, I was thinking of that, that vision in Revelation 4 where the 24 elders who are surrounding his glorious throne and they take their crowns off and they lay them before him. They say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive all the glory. And I just thought, I was thinking for a minute, where'd they get those crowns from? Where'd they get their crowns from? They get them from God and it's like they're giving them back to God. And this is this image, this is the reality. All that we have, our capacity to even exchange the hours of work in response for reward, financial gain, that capacity is given to us. Everything we have belongs to God and our, our response is what we do with that. So let's jump into money wisdom number two. This morning we're talking about the biblical pattern. You can follow along, we're in the handout. But first of all, we want to just do a quick review of the foundations. Last Sunday I was laying foundations. And it's so important to go through these again very, very quickly. That grace, and this is the cornerstone foundation, that our God is eternally gracious. He initiates everything. Everything belongs to him. The way we live is simply our response to God's grace. That's it. How we live is our response to God's grace. It's whether we understand all that he has done for us in Christ. And that's a, is something we want to keep always. So as we go into the biblical pattern, again saying that the biblical pattern is a response to God's grace, just as everything is a response to God's grace. How many of you have memorized Exodus 34, verse 6? Just put your hand up. How many of you know there's Exodus 34, verse 6? Many of you do. So, beautiful passage. One, you want to teach your children. Parents, you want to teach your children this. And teenagers, you want to teach the younger children, your siblings and your friends at school. You want to teach them. You want to see what God is like, you go to Exodus 34, 6. And, what is, and when God is displaying, God is speaking about God to Moses. Moses said, show me your glory. God said, I'm going to show you my glory. He comes and he stands and he declares himself. And what does God say about himself? I'm the Lord. There's no other. 
I am God. There's no other God. I'm the Lord, gracious and compassionate. Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome to, to, for that? Like if, you're, if you had to describe yourself to people, well, firstly, you wouldn't say you're the only God that exists. But, well, I hope you wouldn't say that. Although there are people today that might say that. But, but to have a lot, to be someone who's defined as gracious and compassionate, abounding in love and kindness, slow to anger. That's who God declares himself to be. So again, all the way through scripture, from Genesis 1, verse 1, all the way to Revelation 22, God's grace is seen. Then we talked about participation. We talked about when we become part of his family, we're all expected to participate in giving. We all give the same percentage. We do it consistently, which teaches us faithfulness and self-discipline and self-control. Great things, great things to learn. Being faithful, so important. Having self-discipline, mastery over yourself, self-control. Mastering over your appetites rather than your impulses controlling what you do. Humility was the foundation, another one we talked about, which is following the example of Jesus. And we talked about humility and giving in a way that it protects privacy and reward. And we pursue and expect God's rewards. And um, next week, um, I've asked uh, Daniel Hollett to teach and he's going to specifically teach uh, from the perspective of eternal rewards. You want to be here for that. All right. Now, there is a biblical pattern in scriptures that runs. And one of the most important things is to understand that the Bible is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, sometimes our interpretation will get out of kilter. But God is consistent in the way he's revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation. And, and there's a significant amount of scripture when we look at the issue of money. Uh, some of you will know that there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money, which is one of the hot topics, interestingly enough. It's one of the biggest subjects in the Bible, um, what we do with money. So uh, we want to make sure that we look at the context. We want to make sure that we understand it. We understand that some of these things are given to Israel as a particular people, they're economic situation at the time which is different to ours so we need to uh, sit and filter it and understand it from ours some of the things that are given they're given specifically to Aaron now Aaron is the one that God chooses to be his first high priest and his family line become the priests in Israel and then but they're part of the tribe of Levite so some of the things belong to the tribe of Levite but not to the but they're different to what Aaron's family gets within this. And this is an important distinction that we have to make sure that we interpret correctly. There are instructions about the biblical festivals and there are instructions about caring for the poor. And Jesus, when he comes on the scene and he actually affirms tithing and Paul's letters to, they take the Old Testament principles and the, he applies them into non-Jewish contexts. But there's a common theme that runs through all of this biblical material. It's this. God's people give generously and they give consistently in accordance with, to honour God. 
And it's because it's this expression, it's the overflow, it's understanding God, everything I have comes from you. And this is the overflow I want to give back to you with joy. All right, so with that bit of background, let's jump into Numbers 18. So this is on your handout. And I want you to read along with me this morning. The Lord gave these further instructions to Aaron. So so you're reading that and you're going, oh, who's he speaking to? Aaron. Who's Aaron? First high priest. Well done. Someone's listening. A couple of you are listening. Okay. And so God says to Aaron, I myself, you can read out loud with me. I myself have put you in charge of all the holy offerings that are brought to me by the people of Israel. I have given all these consecrated offerings to you and your sons as your permanent share. You are allotted the portion of the most holy offerings that is not burned on the fire. Now, just pause for a minute. This is all a much bigger thing, and we don't have time to go into all the details of all those offerings. But what God's saying is there's a portion of these that people bring to me, Aaron, that belongs to you and your family. goes on in verse 11. All the sacred offerings and special offerings presented to me when the Israelites lift them up before they also, also belong to you. I've given them to you and to your sons and daughters as your permanent share. Any member of your family who's ceremony clean may eat of these offerings. I also give you the harvest gifts bought by the people as offerings to the Lord. Now, when do they give the harvest gifts? Biblical festivals. Uh, as offering the best. Aaron. Who'd want to be in Aaron's family? You listen to what they get. You get the best of the olive oil, the new wine and the grain. Because that's what people bring to God. We bring our best to God because it's a response to the grace we've received. All the first crops of the land that the people present to the Lord belong to you. Any member of your family who is ceremony clean may eat this food. Here, verse 14. Everything in Israel that is specially set apart for the Lord also belongs to you. And the Lord said to Aaron, now we've missed uh, down in verse 20. You priests will receive no allotment of land or share of property among the people of Israel. I'm your share and your allotment. So it's like, you don't get land, guys. Aaron, your family, you don't get land. You get me. And what the people bring to me, I give to you. So you understand what's going on here? Okay. Then verse 21, as for the tribe of Levi, so now this is moving from Aaron's family to the tribe of Levi, who are your relatives. I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. The Levites will receive no allotment of land among the Israelites because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been presented as sacred offerings to the Lord. So what happens to the Levites if the people don't bring their tithes to the Lord? They become very slender. (laughs) So this will be the Levite share. That's why I've said they'll receive no allotment of land. And then the Lord said to Moses, give these instructions to the Levites. Okay, so now this is... For the Levites again, when you receive from the people of Israel the tithes I've assigned your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes you receive, so a tithe of the tithe. So the people bring their tithe, 
to the Levites and the Levites receive it. Now the Levites take a tenth of that tithe and they give that to the Lord as their sacred offering. And how do they do that? And the Lord will consider this offering to be your harvest offering as though it were the first grain from your own threshing floor or wine from your own wine press. You must present one-tenth of the tithe received from the Israelites as a sacred offering to the Lord. This is the Lord's sacred portion. And you must, here's what they do with it, you present it to Aaron the priest. Be sure to give the Lord the best portions of the gifts that are given to you. So, Aaron and his family get the first fruits. The Levites get the tithe. They take a tithe of that tithe and they give that to Aaron and his family. All these instructions you give to the Levites, when you present the best part of you as your offering, it will be considered as if it came from your own threshing floor or wine press. So in other words, God's saying, even though you've got no land and you've got no way to produce this, I'm going to, I will treat this as if it's come from your own land and your own wine press. You Levites and your families may eat this food anywhere you wish, for it is your compensation for serving in the tabernacle. You will not be considered guilty for accepting the Lord's tithes if you give the best portion to the priests. So the priests have particular roles within the tabernacle and the temple. So that's Aaron and his family. They have those specific roles. And the Levites have, if you like, they have different roles, but they look after it. They do the maintenance. They, they do a whole bunch of other things. And we can spend other time looking at those things. But it's the priests that do the actual offering sacrifices and the Levites do all the other supporting tasks. Okay. And the warning that's given to them in verse 32 is... But be careful not to treat the holy gifts of the people of Israel as though they were common. If you do, you will die. In other words, the Levites thought, you've got to treasure this. You've got to understand that people are giving to, to God in response to their, the grace that he's given to them. And you've got to value this, people. You can't just treat this lightly. Saying this to the Levites. Okay. Then we go on to the book of Leviticus. Uh, 27 verse 30 and 31 one tenth of the produce of the land whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord it must be set aside for him as holy now this is a very interesting bit in verse 31 so one tenth so you're a farmer one tenth of everything you produce belongs to the Lord but if you want to buy it back from the Lord this tenth of grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. So, it's, so God's like, if you want to keep this for yourself, you can do that. You just equate the value, add 20% to it, and then you can keep it. And you give me the value of it plus the 20%. Okay? You see what's going on? So it's an interesting, interesting situation, isn't it? Then we go into Deuteronomy. Here we go. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, who will receive no allotment from land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. 
And we talk about this as caring for the poor. So the third year, you bring the entire tithe and that gets set apart and that gets put in a safe place and stored. And then over the subsequent years, it gets distributed to the foreigners, the orphans, the widows and the Levites among you. And God's promise is, I'll bless you in all your work with you do this. That's a very common theme. It's when God says, when you actually do what I'm asking you to do, I pour a blessing out on you. Malachi, or Malachi as some people like to say, because he was the first Italian prophet. Old joke, but still gets a good laugh. And here this is from his third chapter of his uh, prophecy. And God is speaking and uh, look, so just a bit of background, a bit like things have gone pear-shaped in Israel. They are not obeying God. They're making up all sorts of excuses. Chapter one, they're bringing blemished lambs. They're not bringing the good stuff to God. They're bringing the rubbish, the stuff they wouldn't give to anybody else. Some people still do that today. Malachi has some strong words. The Lord stirs up in him and he brings a strong rebuke to the people. And here we have in the third chapter, God says, I'm the Lord. I don't change. In other words, all the instructions that I've given you, all the grace that I've lavished on you, I've never changed from that. And that's why you're actually not destroyed right now, even though you're, you are so disobedient, rebellious and apathetic. Ever since the days of your ancestors, what have you done? You've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. You said, doesn't apply to me. And God says, now return to me and I'll return to you. The Lord God, gracious and compassionate. The Lord is always looking for the opportunity to extend grace and mercy to people. It's like, return to me and you get me. And you, but you're saying, how can we return when we've never gone away? You see, because what they're going is, we're doing the motions here, God. Like they're not saying it quite like that, but it's like, we've turned up at the temple. We've bought the sacrifices. That's what you wanted us to do, isn't it? Like, aren't we doing the stuff? Aren't we doing the dance for you, God, that you said we should dance? It's like, no, you're scorning me. You're mocking me. You're bringing me the rubbish. You're going through the motions. Your hearts are disconnected. Your hearts are far from me. Yeah, you keep the show on the road, but there's no engagement with your heart. I want the heart of you. If I had your heart, you would bring me the best. You would do that willingly. That's what's going on here. And God says, so should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? Some of us have been children. We've used this line with our parents. Some of us have got children today and they, what do you mean? When did I do that? Beautiful children. And God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. But you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. And God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And it's important that you see the plurality. Not all translations have the plurality in them. 
But the plurality is the tithes of the tithes, the tithes for the poor, the tithes for the Levites and the Levites tithing off their tithe. It's all the tithes. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple for all of my workers and caring for the poor, etc., etc. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So this is it. So to this, to this uh, rebellious, recalcitrant people who are cheating God, here's an enormous promise that God is offering. So you, you come back to the reward thing again that we talked about last week as a foundation. God says, even now, if you return to me, I'll return to you. And if you do start to tithe properly, if you do start to bring me all of the tithes and all of the offerings that are due to me, I, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And he says, try me. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I'll guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Isn't that a great and a glorious promise? Now, one of the things I've often done in the past, and I'm happy to do it again today, is to is to say, let's take God at his word. And if you're not currently tithing, and we're going to walk through the details at, at this, take God at his word. Now, for several years, when I've done a series on money, I've offered people, if you follow God's pattern for six months and your finances are worse off, you come to me and the church will refund you all that you have tithed to the Lord in that six months. No one has ever come and asked for that. No one. No one who's followed God's pattern have ever come and asked me. Now, that could be for different reasons, but um, I think it's because they've actually experienced God's provision. God can be trusted. God does what he promises to do when we obey him. Even in um, Paul in, in Philippians 4, and you don't have this text in front of you, in Philippians 4, he talks about God is faithful. And then my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory, he said. And he, in the same chapter, he, Paul also talked about the fact, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, whether I've got an abundance or whether I've got a lack. And for many years, my prayer to God was, God, I've got lots of practice in the lack. Um, you know, I'd like to practice the abundant bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. With great wealth becomes great responsibility. So then we come to Jesus. So, because some people go, well, that's Old Testament. We're New Covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant. No, 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 no. Which is a whole lot of misdirection. Um, Jesus is very clear when he's dealing with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. 
And the image is that these Pharisees are so zealous that even, you know, they, they get their little, they get their herbs when they buy their herbs and they carve off a tithe of the herb to give, but they're neglecting things like justice and mercy and faith. I don't know how you could actually do that, how you could be so committed to obey God in this, but missing these other things. And Jesus says, it's not that you stop this and start this, you do it all together. It's all part of the same thing because you understand it all belongs to me and I require you and you are my special people and you are meant to display my goodness to the world around about. You're meant to display my character. Paul's got a long discussion on this in his uh, letter to the Corinthians and it runs from chapters 9 to 14, but we've just picked out a few, few verses this morning from chapter 9, verses 7 to 14. And Paul, and again, we're picking up partway through and it's really for the sake of time and encourage you, you've got these texts, I deliberately gave you a handout today and for those who are watching on the web stream, we'll make sure it's available online for you to download. Uh, because of time, because there's so much material to look at. So Paul is saying, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? What's the answer? None. The government pays whoever's hiring them as a soldier pays their expenses what farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit none what shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk the answer is none and Paul says well am I merely expressing a human opinion or does the law say the same thing so this is a conversation actually about about them supporting Christian workers and he goes on, he says, For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. So you picture like they used oxes to, to thread, 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 thresh out the grain, to press the grain, all that kind of stuff. And like you don't muzzle the ox, it's allowed to munch as it, as it travels around crushing your grain, right? That's the image there. And it says, so Paul then asked a question. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, Paul says, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? The answer is yes, you do realize that. And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. And here he applies it and he says, he takes that, if you like, that principle in scripture given to Israel and he applies it to the body of Christ in Corinth, which is a Greek city. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So he takes that principle and applies it. Now let's go into 1 Peter chapter 2. And again, because this is all about who we are, it's of our identity. So you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You're a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. 
I hope what you heard coming through that is several things, but I hope you heard primarily the grace of God that's been given to you. That you were this, you are now this. You belong to his people. You had no identity. Now because you're in Christ, you belong to him. You belong to the family of God. You live in a certain way because this is who you are. You display the goodness of God. We do this together. We show others the goodness of God by the way that we live. And the way we do money is one of the ways that we show that we have this new identity. And when you have this new identity, when you become one of these royal priests as part of this holy nation, what we have to learn to do is to think and behave as a member of God's family. Now, all of us had families that we grew up in. Some of them were healthy, some of them were unhealthy, uh, all sorts of things. But we actually, it doesn't matter what what sort of that context was, we learned how to behave We learned there are things to do and things not to do. But regardless of all of that that we bring into that, when we come into the family of God, what we have to do is take all of those things that we think are normal and we have to evaluate them against the Bible. We have to compare the way our family did things or the way our family does things to Scripture. And so what we have to do is we have to look at what the scriptures say about how we're to do money. Because we want to align every part of our lives with the scriptures. And that is what discipleship means. It's learning the ways of Jesus, who's our Lord. And one of the things I've experienced, and I know many of you have experienced as well, that when we, when we actually follow through and obey God with our finance, what it does, it brings to the surface hidden things in our heart about whether we truly trust God or not. It does. It's like, where is my allegiance going to go? And we often find that our heart's divided. And there's a part of our heart, yes, that loves God and wants to obey, but there's another part that doesn't want to obey God. In fact, doesn't like God and wants to do what I want to do. I don't want to do, I don't want to bring myself into submission to Jesus. I think it's part of why David cried out in Psalm 86, 11. He said, God, unite my heart to fear your name. Bring these, bring these parts together, God. The part that loves you and the part that doesn't like you. Bring it together. Unite my heart to fear. Unite my heart to worship you, if you like, is another way to put it. And that's a good prayer to cry out this morning. If you're listening to this and you're wrestling and all, all sorts of stuff going on, it's just say, okay, God, I'm willing. Unite my heart to fear your name so that I live a life that honors you. All right, let me give you a summary now. I've got it on the, on the screen for you. The biblical pattern. It's um, basically got four components and it, it starts with the fact that we give to God first and uh, we give what we call, or it's what Hebrew people call teruma, which is that first two and a half percent that would go to Aaron's family. And uh, there's a whole process of how that's, that, that's come to, that two and a half percent. But it's basically about the amount of crop that ripens first is typically about two and a half to four percent. So we say two and a half percent, and we bring that as our first fruit. So we, so we, 
take our income, we take off the first 2.5% and that comes to the Lord. Uh, and then, we, then what's the left over? We then take a tithe of that, that's the 10%. And then what's left over, we take a second tithe, and this is for our savings. Good news, people, you get to save money using following God's pattern. And you take then, but you also take a tithe of that savings and you give that to God as well. That's part of the thing that we saw that was allocated in the scriptures. And then uh, rather than waiting three years to do something for the poor, you calculate 3.4% or 3.33% percent whichever way you want to do that math uh, and you set that aside for the poor and then obviously you've got living expenses and special offerings out of the rest and you have to work out and you've got to wrestle with this and I I know what we do but uh, people say well Wayne do I do this off the net or the gross and I just say You've got to have that conversation with God. You've got to do what your heart is willing to do. And you go, um, if it's gross, do gross. Start somewhere. Just get on, the, get on the train, you know. If you can do gross, do gross. If you can do net, do net. But the thing is you say, God, I want my heart to grow in generosity. So you want to move from gross to net. I, be, I think you want to move from gross to net. I'd suggest that. So now look, is it? Other way around. Sorry, yes. You can tell I'm not the tax accountant in our family. So do it the other way around. Yeah, net. Yeah, if you start with net, move to gross, whatever way you want to do it. Um, now look, some of you are going, I cannot do the math on that. That's like doing my head in thinking, okay, 2.5%, calculate the balance, 10% of that. Okay, 10% of the balance, 10%. Okay. Uh, Several years ago, someone in our congregation developed a very easy-to-use spreadsheet, which is available from our office. So if you email or call reception uh, and say, could you please send me that uh, spreadsheet, you just go, you just put in the number and it just, Rolls it out for you um, to do that. So uh, up behind me, let's put a little pie chart to show you the proportion of this and how this works out. And you can see the blue is all for you. The red is the taruma. I can't know. I don't know what colour the first tithe is, and I don't know what colour the third tithe is, but they're different colours. Um, so and you you get to see that just gives you a bit of a proportion. So when we obey the biblical pattern. These things happen. Number one, God is honoured. Remember, this is a response to God's grace. We're responding to God's grace. So this is gratitude. This is like, God, for all you've done to me in Christ, I want to honour you. I want to express my gratitude to you. And this is one of the ways I do it, by obeying you. Uh, God's vocational workers are paid. Um, uh, Of course, I've deliberately chosen that language, haven't I? Because I can't say God's priests. Because who are God's priests? Yep. Uh, People have savings is the next thing. And the poor are assisted and generosity increases. Wow. Who doesn't want to be generous? If you don't want to be generous, you're free to leave. Who's ever been the recipient of someone else's generosity? And how many of you have also thought, wow, I want to be generous? And how many of you are practicing generosity? Awesome. 
well done. Keep going. And the rest of you, you're either too stingy to put your hand up or lazy, one or the other. Anyway, you, you, I'll let you decide which one you are just, or just can't be bothered. So, Now, what happens when God's people are... And you can see all this in the Scripture, by the way. You can see all those things in Scripture. They're not things I, I made up. They're things in the Scripture. And when God's people abandon the biblical pattern, and this is part of what Malachi was railing against, and many of the prophets are railing against, when people abandon God's pattern and disobey him, God is not honoured. Scarcity thinking replaces generosity. Now, can I, I want to just spend a few seconds here this morning talking about the fact that there is an enormous amount of scarcity thinking uh, being pushed into the culture at the moment. We are going to run out of things. The world is coming to an end. Scarcity. There isn't enough food to feed everybody. We've got to get some people off this planet because you know, we're going to run all these things. You've heard them, right? Scarcity thinking, right? And why do people have scarcity thinking? Well, firstly, because they don't believe there's a creator who's generous, that who richly gives us all things uh, that we can trust him in that place, in the place of worshipping him, he causes the seasons to flourish and all these kind of things. Uh, so there's this scarcity thinking. But when we, when we follow God's pattern, what happens is our scarcity thinking gets confronted because it gets replaced by generosity. Generosity is places. Instead of going, well, if I give this, I'm going to have less, it's like, no. I'm giving this because the Lord promises he's going to increase. So in, in other words, I want to live within my means, right? And most Australians live within their means, even if they have to borrow to do so. That's another old joke, um, right? Or even if we have to afterpay it. Uh, by the way, we don't use afterpay in New Life regarding offerings. Um, uh, so the idea of bringing ourselves to him and going, Lord, I trust you. So, yes, theoretically, I will have less if I honour you with my money. But what if you keep your promise, God, and increase my capacity to earn? See, it's a different way of thinking, isn't it? Because he's promised, if you test me, do this, I'm actually going to open the window. I'm going to pour into you. And please don't hear me saying that you can sort of negotiate with God. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God's already promised some things, but it's up to him how he does that blessing and, and the timing of it as well. So you don't start going, okay, God, well, here it is. Bang. And the next day you open your bank again, you're expecting some whopping big deposit in there. It doesn't work like that, folks, because the issues in your heart have got to be confronted. Your issue of will you trust me, will you love me through this process. That's the, see, God's always after our hearts. He wants our hearts much more than he wants our money. If he's got your heart, he has your money. If he doesn't have your heart, he will never have your money. And you'll never have his blessing either. So this thing of, 
By giving generously, I'm giving God the opportunity to actually increase my means. So I'm living within my means. Hope this is making sense. I'm living within, I'm not, my consumption is contained, but I'm all the time asking God to increase my capacity for generosity. It's not increased my means so that I can have lots, lots of more, 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 more. It's like God so that I can give more, so that I can be more generous than I've ever been before. I want to, out of the abundance, I want to be one who stands before you with abundance and who's given abundantly. When, when people abandon the biblical pattern, selfishness increases, understandably, because it's like what's mine is mine, you ain't getting it, right? And I'm not sharing it with anybody. I'm not sharing it with God, and certainly no human being I'm going to share it with. Selfishness increases. And of course, biblical prayer and worship and teaching decline. And part of the reason for that is because people like me and all of our staff have to go find other jobs. Because it costs us the same amount to pay our electricity bill as you. Same, we pay the same for our water. We don't get a discount. We buy our food, all those kind of things. So what happens is, and you see that happening in Scripture, when the people stop bringing their tithes and offerings to the Lord, the temple declined in every way. Maintenance, the whole thing, declined. It gets into disrepair. And worse than that probably is even that the poor are neglected. Because there's no resource for the poor. Because that poor tithe isn't coming in. And the poor are still there. But there's nothing to give them. Because the Levites aren't there. They've gone, got other jobs. The priests are off. And there's just nothing. The, the, you know, the cupboard is bare. It's a very sad state of affairs. Let me finish with the words of Jesus. Because he cared enough to warn us when he said, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't worship God and be enslaved to money. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I can tell where your heart is by where you're putting your money. And if you're not following God's pattern, there's a problem in your heart towards God. It's not the pattern that's wrong. It's your heart that you need to bring into alignment. And that's why I say, you pray that prayer from Psalms, unite my heart to fear your name. Like I said, Julie and I have been following God's pattern for a number of years. And what it's done, it's enlarged our hearts to love God and to love people. It's forged in a fire of trust. It's increased our generosity. And I'm looking around this room and although I don't know details, I know that there are several in this room, many of you in fact, who are following God's pattern and you're experiencing an increase in your capacity for generosity. Your heart's enlarged because you're saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. I'm just giving back to you what you're asking me. You're allowing me to keep so much. You go back to that pie chart and you go, God, I, I, it's so good that you allow me to keep so much. And I bring this with joy to you as an expression of gratitude and love to you. 
because you are worthy. And I look forward to that day when I'll join with the others around your throne and you'll give me a crown and I'll lay it down before you and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive all the glory, all the power, all the wealth, all the wisdom. It all belongs to you, God. It always has done. It always will do. And you gave me this privilege of stewarding a tiny fraction of your glorious and unlimited resources for such a short period of time. And I want to be found faithful to you when I stand before you. I want to invite you to stand with me and I want us to pray this Lordship prayer that you've got at the, on the last page of your handout as the worship team come and join me. And again, I want you to I'm not asking, I want you to pray this because you want to pray it. It's a lordship prayer. You're speaking it to Jesus. Let's take a moment. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. And even, even now say, God, first of all, I want to say, unite my heart to fear your name. If you feel like your heart is torn right now, just, just say, God, unite my heart. I want to obey you. Help me to obey you. Let's pray this together. I submit myself wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ as Lord of every area of my being, Lord of my spirit, all my worship, adoration and devotion, Lord of my mind, attitudes, thoughts, beliefs and imagination, Lord of my soul, all my emotions and feelings, Lord of my will and every decision. Lord of my body, because the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord of how I treat it, what I wear, and everything I put into it. Lord of my sexuality and its expression. Lord of my family, friendships, and all relationships. Lord of my work and voluntary service. Lord of my belongings and my desires for more. Lord of my finances. Lord of my plans, ambitions and future. Jesus, thank you that you laid down your life and suffered in my place to free me from the consequences of my sin, iniquity and rebellion. And I am now free to love, worship and obey you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus, you are my Lord and I willingly submit completely to you today and forever. Amen.